0: You're listening to the latest preaching from Brixham Community Church. So I want to go right back to the beginning. But first of all, I want to quote from John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus said, The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come. They may have life and more abundantly. And if you look at this word abundant, I mean, it means an overflow. You know, you've got everything you need, but more abundantly it's a superabundance. It's more than you could ever use. It's more than what you need. But that's the kind of God we serve. So I want to go right back to Eden, the Garden of Eden. If I asked you to describe what you thought Eden was like in the terms of abundance, what kind of words, what kind of life to have, what kind of words could you use to describe it? Sorry? Flourishing. Anybody else? Beautiful. Sorry? Peaceful? Productive? Green? <laughs> Anybody else? Sorry? Atmospheric. It's very hard, I think, to describe something we've never had. Can I honestly tell you what abundant life looks like? Not just the definition of it, but in actuality, what does it look like? I had a few thoughts about what it was like in, in Eden. First of all, I think it was great weather. I don't think they had hurricanes or tornadoes or earthquakes, because I think it was perfect to start with. I think there was as much food as you needed. I don't think there was any fear there. There was no drudgery there. I don't believe there was sickness there or disease or want. Perfect relationships between man, God's creation and God, but also perfect relationship between man and woman. Mankind. They were significant because they knew what they had to do. They didn't have to work to think they were significant. They had significance to start with. They were security. They knew they were accepted, so you didn't have to work to be accepted. You just knew it. I think they had the knowledge of being unconditionally loved. No needing to forgive. No having to settle old scores. No striving. No performing to be accepted by others just being who you were, knowing and communicating with God as close as he's walking here with me. Didn't need prophecies. Didn't need tongues because God was there. Can we imagine that? How about this? No plastic surgery, no facelifts, no replacement hips. Can you imagine it? Because we've never lived in a world like that. We never have. But I do believe that's exactly what Eden was like. Abundant, full of abundance. We have no idea from what the Bible says how long Adam and Eve enjoyed Eden. We don't know how long they were there. So I want to just read you the account from Eden. It's Genesis chapter 3, but this is from the Amplified Bible. And I know there's different, even Amplified Bibles, but I found this very helpful. Now the serpent was more crafty, subtle, skilled in deceit than any living creature of the field which the Lord God had made. And the serpent, Satan, as we come to know him, said to the woman, Can it really be that God has said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, except the fruit from the tree which is in the middle of the garden. God said, You shall not eat from it, nor touch it, otherwise you will die. But the serpent said to the woman, You certainly will not die. For God knows that on that day, when you eat from the fruit, your eyes will be opened. And that is you will have a greater awareness and you will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delightful to look at and a tree to be desired in order to make one wise and insightful, she took some of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate And the eyes of the two of them were opened. That is, their awareness increased, and they knew that they were naked, and they fastened fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. The first part of the story, but this one act of disobedience, this one act of disobedience has been echoing through the corridors of time ever since, and it's affected billions of people. Billions. And it still continues today, unabated. And the first thing that happened was that Adam and Eve hid from one another. This wasn't just the physical nakedness. They were hiding from each other now because now it was as if their whole lives and, and their hearts were laid bare and they become vulnerable. Now we had to start protecting it. They hid from one another. And we go on. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the afternoon breeze. So the man and his wife kept themselves hidden from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? And Adam replied, I heard the sound of you walking in the garden. and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. He caused a spiritual barrier between God and his creation. As everything had been open and pure and clean, now there was a barrier. He was afraid to come into God's presence as he once did. Adam and Eve hid from God. Something that people have been doing ever since. Hiding from God. So God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten fruit from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman who you gave me, she gave me fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled and deceived me. And I ate from the forbidden tree. And the Lord God said to the servant, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than any animal of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, open hostility between you and the woman and between your seed offspring and her seed, her offspring. He shall fatally bruise your head and you shall only... Bruce his heel. The fall in the garden wasn't just a physical fall. It was a spiritual fall as well. Not only separation from God, because there was another spiritual entity in that garden. There was somebody else there in the form of a snake, Satan, the devil. This was a spiritual battle that was going on there. And it's been going on ever since, since the fall, opposing God's will. But we had the promise that the seed of Adam and Eve, the one would come and he would fatally wound, says here, fatally bruise the devil's head and you will only lightly bruise his heel. In that a battle that's been going on all the time? A battle between good and between evil. And he has been beguiling and deceiving us ever since with his promise about a wonderful life without God. We can have a perfect life without God. And to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth, yet your desire and longing will be for your husband, and he will rule with authority over you and be responsible for you. The two areas where the woman was to find great blessing, that was her husband and her children, now became a source of pain and contention, pain in childbirth. And it said in this reading, desire for husband. Now, this desire, I don't think, is necessarily sexual, but it's tied up with the rule and authority And maybe her desire, I want to be like my husband. I want it to be, maybe I even want to take his place as the head. And what a contention over the generations that we had between women and men. Before it was perfect, there was no battle. No battle. But now look at our modern world that seems to be rising now. What a shame that women think the men and men think the women. In the sense of what we can do. We're different. We think differently, but together we make more of the image of God than we do on our own. And yet we're trying to become normal, just one. And we, we, I think we're taking stuff away from God that we shouldn't. We should enjoy who we are. We're greater together than just as individuals. And then God said to Adam, because you listened attentively to the voice of your wife, you have eaten fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it. The ground is now under a curse because of you. In sorrow and toil you shall eat the fruit of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread until you return to the ground. For from it you were taken. For you are dust. And to dust you shall return. Man must now labor for his existence on a cursed earth whereas Adam had to work to perform in the garden before the fall, now his work would involve exhausting toil and suffering. He could no longer freely eat of the ground or the good ground that God had provided. He was cast out. And now worst of all, he would return to the ground from which he'd been created. He would die. And instead of becoming divine, as the serpent had promised, you shall be like God. He's now going back to the dust from where it was created. And the devil still promises things like that. You shall be. And there are lies and deceptions. But it wasn't only mankind who suffered in the fall. Creation did itself. Because decay set in. Decay came. So that one act of disobedience, as I say, has affected us all. It's affecting our world. still is today. And men still think they can be like God. Because of our intelligence and understanding. Still striving to be God. We don't need God's laws anymore. We know better. And our world's getting worse and worse in that sense. We're sowing the wind. And we're reaping the whirlwind. So how does it leave us today? I thought the best way I could show. Where we all are or have been. Is to look at Paul's life. Or Saul. Before he became Paul. I think when you read his letters to the various churches, you will see a history of his past and what he believed and what he thought and the change that had to take place in him. So before I go on, I'd like to give you some of Paul's credentials. And some of this is Paul's own words. Others I've taken from other little bits of the Bible. So first of all, Paul was a Pharisee. You could say he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was born or brought up in Jerusalem, he stood under one of the most famous rabbis there was at that time, a man called Gamaliel. And it was kind of, well, I studied, you know, I went to Oxford or I went to Cambridge. You know, it can be thought of being the better colleges. But he was under Gamaliel, one of the top-notch in Jerusalem. He was thoroughly trained in the law. He knew the law and he was zealous for God. He passionately persecuted the followers of the way. This new religion that had come through a man called Christ. And he pursued them in his own words to their death. That's where he was. Arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. He obtained letters to take from the high priest to Damascus in this murderous rage against Christians so he could arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem. But want to look at Acts chapter 9, what happened to him? And what revelations he obtained. So he's called Saul at this point. Meanwhile Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and he did not eat or drink anything. Paul thought he was righteous, he thought he was great. And before God, he'd kept the law and he wanted others to keep the law. The Pharisees thought they were so religious that they weren't the problem. It was everybody else who were the bad ones who were causing bad things to happen to Israel, not them. We're righteous. And that's what Paul's perspective was. But let's look at some of the changes that took place in his life. And we can read these in some of the letters in the New Testament. Paul wrote a letter to the church in Rome. And in chapter 7, verse 9, he wrote this. Once I was alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity offered by the commandment, deceived me. And through the commandment, put me to death. It's not quite easy to understand some of the implications there. What Paul recognized in this time of his blindness was that even though he'd kept the law, knew the law, was under the law, he'd never seen any spiritual understanding in the law. It never really penetrated his heart or affected his conscience. He didn't realize that the law that he'd been following was external. He realized that he was alive apart from the law. He came to a conclusion. We're not talking about now the law. You know, there was a law in the Garden of Eden. There was one law don't eat from the fruit in the garden, in the tree in the middle, you know, of good and evil. A law was given on Mount Sinai to the people. But Paul says here, when the law came alive, when he recognized the law, almost for the first time, he reckoned his position before God that he was actually dead. He thought he was alive, but actually, spiritually, he was dead. And he says in Romans 7, verse 14, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. He did not understand the spiritual Because in a sense, because of what happened in Eden, there was still this spiritual disconnect with God. And it was all outside stuff that had to be done. Sacrifice of animals for sin. There was no spiritual understanding of what had to happen. And so the first thing he recognizes is he's dead. Then he wrote to the Ephesians, chapter 2, and we're included in this, as was Paul. This was what he realized was his condition. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. What is saying we had this old nature and all we could ever expect from God was wrath, anger. We were all dead. He thought you were so much alive, but you were dead in your sins and transgressions. And sadly, that's where a lot of us are today, but we don't recognize it. There might even be some in here who do not realize that's where we are. But Paul could just tell us he was dead, just like we all were before Jesus. He actually thought he was alive, because in his mind he kept the law, but he realized that he was actually dead in his transgressions. He was spiritually dead. So why did he get it so wrong? Why? He said something in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In recognized to have spiritually blind. How many people in our world today do not believe in Jesus? Jesus said, in John's Gospel, chapter 16, he said, When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment in regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. That's a sin. It's not just what we do wrong. Jesus saying the sin of the world is they don't believe in me. Paul said the devil comes to blind us so we can't even see the glory of Jesus. Unbelievers now are blind. They can't even see the glory of Jesus. Maybe we should have a bit more compassion on them. Rather than just, you know, judging them. Why are you doing that? Paul's sin was he didn't believe in Jesus. Jesus. In fact, he was persecuting Jesus, hence the words, why are you persecuting me? He was killing his believers. How many people in the world today are killing God's people? Day after day, I get emails of another church attacked, more people killed, more Christians imprisoned. And people think they're serving God by doing it, just like Paul. But Paul wasn't only blinded. In Matthew 4, verse 16, and he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, he says, The people living in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. But the Amplified Bible says it like this, and I like this. I think it gives a bit more understanding. The people who were living in spiritual darkness have seen a great light. For those who were living in the land and shadow of spiritual and moral death, upon them a light has dawned. What we're talking about, what Paul was realizing as well, was that this are spiritual things. Saul on the road to Damascus, he saw a great light, brighter than the sun he describes it, a light that's not of this world. You read his accounts of the light he saw. Not a spirit, physical light, but a spiritual light, because the other men with him didn't see it. Only Paul saw it. God blinded Paul so that he could see. That's strange. This glorious spiritual light blinded him so at least he could then see. Paul realized that in those three days, at some point, this encounter with Jesus, Saul died and Paul was born. I believe he had the new birth experience where now he was spiritually alive whereas before he was dead. And he talks a lot about that, about being born again. Without Jesus, that's our position. Without Jesus, we're dead. We're lost. We have no hope. And we carry on living as if I've got it all together. We carry on living as if I'm in control of everything and I've got all the answers. And we can do whatever we like now. And you can see the rise that's happening in wickedness Where truly in our days, evil is being called good and good is being called evil. You can see what's happening. And people are not happier. People are more desperate today than ever because we're blind and we're dead in our transgressions and sins. Until we have that encounter with Jesus. And it was that encounter with Jesus that changed everything. People need a spiritual encounter. It's right, isn't it, to help the poor abroad to send money and everything like that. And I've heard some people say, oh, all Christians want to do, they want to help, but they want to give them something more. It's that something more that makes a difference in life. We can feed the poor, but there'll be a lot more poor tomorrow. You know, and they'll be hungry again. But what Jesus even said, look, the poor's always, give them something of life. Show them something of me. Paul came to the place where he could say, that all what I attained before, all the notoriety, no matter how many educational qualifications I had, they were actually worthless. They mean nothing. Absolutely nothing compared to knowing Christ. It's all a waste compared to knowing him. There's many people blinded by the devil. They can't see the glory of Jesus. That's why we pray for miracles, isn't it? Well, we're praying for these people who've got desperate situations in the life, and I know there's more. When John was, I know Helen at the back with her breathing, I know the doctors gave her a limited length of lifespan. But it brings glory to Jesus when we see these things happen. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life in all its abundance. I want to leave it there because next time, I don't know, it's about two, three weeks' time or something. I'm going to just talk about what has happened to us. Don't want anybody to feel depressed, but sometimes to acknowledge where we are gives us the greatest chance of moving forward. Don't just paper over the cracks and everything else. Just two minutes. The Hebridean revival, an amazing work of God, late 40s, early 50s. You might have heard this before, but it just fits in so well. They had this revival going on. They didn't know what to do with it. So they called a a well-known evangelist of the time called Duncan Campbell. And he came over for the first service on the island. And he said he preached a sermon. And he felt nothing. Didn't feel as if the people were inspired in any way whatsoever. And the service finished. And the people left. Everybody disappointed. But he was left in the church with two sidesmen, as the Church of England called them. And as they walk into the door to go home, one of them suddenly starts shouting out, God, you can't fail us. God, it's your name that's at stake here, not ours, it's yours. You cannot let us down. You cannot fail us. And the power of the Spirit he laid down on the ground, or he went out in the Spirit. And then the other sidesman he began to prophesy, Lord, your word declares. Look how this, the, the, you know, the redeemed of the Lord came home, rejoicing and gladness filling their hearts. And he went out in the power of the Spirit. Duncan Campbell opened the door of the church and there were 700 people rushing up the drive to get back in. And he began to preach again. But after 10 minutes, he stopped. And this is what he said. The cries of those repenting and the rejoicing of them who'd been saved drowned him out. The cries of those repenting. What they had, they'd have a revelation of who they were. They'd had an counter with Jesus that showed them exactly what they were like and all they could do was repent and cry out and beg for mercy and forgiveness because they saw the real condition and then when they felt forgiven they were now rejoicing because they knew they'd been saved and all the other had gone I do think sometimes we don't always make people realise how awful we were it was as if it didn't matter. But actually, Paul says, we were dead, now we're alive. We were lost, now we're found. The old's gone and the new is here. She would just pray? Thanks for listening. For more information, visit brixham.church.